Timothy with me, First Timothy. First Timothy chapter three <clears throat> this morning, and let's begin reading from verse one. <clears throat> Excuse me. First Timothy chapter three, verse one says, "This is a true saying: If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behaviour, given to hospitality, apt to teach." Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he, being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach, and the snare of the devil. <clears throat> Let's um, give me our time to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather around your word now. And Lord, I pray that you would just speak to our hearts this morning uh, through your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would empower me through the spirit. You give me wisdom and guidance now as I speak. That Lord, it would be your words. It would be your thoughts. And that, Lord, you would be honoured and glorified this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, if you remember in chapter 3 here of First Timothy, um, Paul is now addressing the leadership of the local church. And he outlines for us here in uh, chapter 3 the spiritual qualifications that men must meet in order to be appointed to one of these two offices. Uh, within the local church, the pastor and deacon. And he begins, of course, first of all, by addressing the office of a pastor. And Paul chooses to use that the term bishop here. We see that in verse 1. It says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work, a bishop then must be. And so Paul chooses to use this word, word bishop. Um, and as we mentioned last time, you know, bishop, pastor and elder, they're all uh, terms or titles for the same office. They simply uh, describe for us di different aspects of that same office. And so here in 1 Timothy, it's the title bishop or overseer that is used. And Paul lists for us here in verses 2 down to verse 7, he lists for us uh, numerous qualifications that a man must meet if he's going to be appointed to this role within the local church. And we began to look at this last time and we saw that the great stress here as you go through this list, the great stress is on moral and spiritual qualities. And what that tells us is that while they are requirements, while they are things to be looked for in a pastor, they're also moral and spiritual requirements for all believers. You know, there's not one standard for the pastor, you know, one set of rules for the pastor and then another set of rules for everybody else. You know, these are moral, spiritual qualities, and they should be found in the life of all believers. The point simply here is that the pastor is to be an example in these areas, in these things. And so we considered the first four of these qualities last time there in verse 2. We saw the word blameless, first of all. And we said the blameless is speaking about the fact that the, the pastor is to be someone who is above 
reproach before men. Now, there's nothing in his life that men can hold on to and accuse him of and bring reproach upon the name of the Lord. The pastor is also, it says, to be the husband of one wife. And we saw this talks about him being <coughs> faithful to the marriage relationship. A one woman man. The word vigilant then speaks about walking circumspectly in this world. It means to be spiritually sober, to exercise sound judgments. And then finally, the word sober speaks about having a sound mind, exercising self-control. And so this morning now, we want to consider the the final three qualifications mentioned here in verse 2. Let's just read verse 2 again. It says, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. And so the first one we see here this morning is that the pastor is to be someone of good behavior. Now, the Greek word translated of good behavior here is kosmion. Uh, kosmion. And it means uh, order as opposed to disorder. That's what the word actually means. And so we could translate it here as orderly, or some even say dignified. And so the pastor is to behave himself in an orderly, dignified way. You know, the previous two words in this verse, vigilant and sober, they referred to the state of mind. Whereas this word refers to the outward actions. Commentator Kent writes this, he says, it refers to a life which is well-ordered, the expression of a well-ordered mind. And so it's the outward result, if you like, of being vigilant and sober. The outward result is good behavior. Okay, it stems from those two. And it's interesting to note that this same word translated good behavior here is the word translated modest back in chapter 2. <clears throat> Let's go back to chapter 2 with me in verse 9. It says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array. It says, adorn themselves in modest apparel. That word modest there is that same Greek word, translated good behavior here. And the meaning in both passages is the, is the same. Okay, In chapter 2, verse 9 there, it speaks about the fact that godly women are to wear that which is orderly, that which is decent. In other words, their apparel is to be ordered by their relationship with the Lord. You know, it is to be consistent with what they are, a child of God. And that's the same idea here, except now instead of talking about apparel, what we wear, it's talking about conduct. And so the pastor is to conduct himself in a way that is consistent with being a child of God. Conduct that reflects his relationship with the Lord. Now, of course, this is something that is to be true of all believers, isn't it? It's not just true of the pastor. You know, God's word has a lot to say about the conduct of his children here on earth. In First Peter on Wednesday evenings, we've seen the fact that as the children of God, we are to be different. We are to be distinct from the world. Just go over with me to First Peter. First <clears throat> Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2 and verse 11, <clears throat> it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, 
having a conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. It talks here in First Peter about the fact that we are strangers, we are pilgrims here on earth. In other words, we're just passing through on our way to glory. But while we're here on earth, we are to be ambassadors for Christ. And according to verse 12 there, it says that we are to make sure that our conversation is honest among the Gentiles. Conversation, of course, there means conduct. So that our conduct is to be honest or right in the sight of man and indeed in the sight of God. Our conduct is to point others to Christ, not point them away from Christ. Now, likewise, Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Our steps, our actions are to be ordered by Him. Of course, that means through His holy word, doesn't it? Ordered by His word so that our conduct points others to Christ. And so that's the idea here. The pastor is to be an example of this, this good behavior, this conduct before men. You see, secondly, the pastor is to be given to hospitality. Let's go back there again. First Peter, First uh, Timothy 3 verse 2 <clears throat> says, The bishop there must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality. Now, when we read the word hospitality and think of someone being hospitable, we tend to immediately think of someone who likes to have people in their home, has an open home. They regularly invite friends and family over. There's someone who likes to entertain guests and they love to do this. You know, while that is a, a wonderful quality, a wonderful trait, that isn't what the words here actually mean. Paul is not declaring here that the pastor is to have an open home that he is to constantly have people over for dinner. The words given to hospitality literally mean a friend of strangers. That's what the words mean, a friend of strangers. And so it speaks of seeing and meeting the need of strangers as one has the capacity to meet that need. And to fully understand the meaning of the word here, we need to consider it in the context of the day. You know, always need to do that, don't we? Consider things in the context in which it was written. And so we need to consider in the context of the day in which Paul is writing these words. You know, looking at those early days of the church, we can see numerous ways that believers would show themselves to be friends under strangers. You know, for instance, in those days, traveling from one place to another was dangerous, especially for believers. You know, in those early days, you had many believers who were traveling around as preachers, as teachers of the gospel. And they found that there was no suitable places for them to stay. There was no inns like there is today. And if there was any, there was few. And they were places of brawls and violence. They were unsafe. They were not places for a believer to be found. So this meant that there was an abundant opportunity for fellow believers to welcome these people into their homes, to show them Christian love. One commentator wrote this, he said, many of the first converts having devoted themselves to preaching of the gospel often traveled from one place to another and it was customary for travelers to lodge with their acquaintance or with such persons as they were recommended to. But all the disciples of Christ 
considering themselves as brethren and as engaged in one common cause for the benefit of the world, they made each other welcome, though unacquainted, uh, to such food and lodging as they could afford. So that's this idea here. You know, as believers are traveling around and they went to a new place, they would find the fellow believers and those believers would welcome them into their homes. They would give them lodging. They would feed them. They would take care of them. And the idea here is that the pastor is to be an example in this. He was to be the, setting the example, setting the lead. And this idea of welcoming strangers, sharing as he was able. You know, this hospitality was also necessary because of the persecution that the church was facing from the Roman Empire. You know, persecution led to many believers being displaced, banished, and even rendered homeless. And again, these believers are in desperate need. They were in desperate need of like-minded believers to show them love, show them compassion to provide for them as they were able. Whether that was a roof over their heads or food or clothing, whatever was necessary. We see an example of this kind of hospitality in 2 Timothy. Just turn over there, 2 Timothy in chapter 1. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 16. It says, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anisiphorus, for he hath oft refreshed me, and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Here we see this man Anisiphorus. This man ministered under Paul. He sought Paul out while he was in prison. He was suffering. He sought him out and he refreshed him, Paul says. It was a blessing under him. He also talks about how in Ephesus he ministered under him. This man was given to hospitality. He was a friend to strangers, friend to those in need. And the final reason this hospitality was so necessary in the early church was there was no welfare system like we have today. And so the poor, the the widows, the orphans, they all needed help that no one else could or would give them. See, believers were to show themselves friends of strangers, helping these ones in need. Again, we see this kind of hospitality in Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. It says, And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a great murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. It talks about there the daily ministration. This was the distribution of funds unto those in need by the church. They would take care of those in need. And so this is what hospitality here is all talking about. When we read these words given to hospitality here, it doesn't speak about entertaining friends and family in your home. Rather, it speaks about this great love and concern for strangers and for those in need. And the pastor is to take the lead in this matter of hospitality. That's the point here. But again, it's not just the pastor's responsibility, is it? Go to Romans chapter 12 with me. Romans 12. 
Romans 12, verse 13. <clears throat> verse 13 there says, Distributing to the necessity of saints given to hospitality. We see this list of things for believers and we read these exact same words. Given to hospitality. Speaking about all believers. And so it's the responsibility of us all. And indeed it is something that stems out of the command to love one another. The command to show the love of God unto others. Go to 1 John with me. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> we see this highlighted. 1 John 3. First John 3, and let's read from verse 11. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. This with the hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that a murderer hath et- sorry, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. You know, John here speaks about the fact that as believers, we are to love one another, and it's an evidence of salvation. It's an evidence that we are saved. We are the children of God. But he talks about how our love is to be more than just words. Our words is to be seen in action. He says in verse 17 and 18, there, verse 17 says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We're to love in deed and in truth, in action. Demonstrate our love by the way we, we conduct ourselves towards one another. And that's where this whole idea of given to hospitality comes from. If you like, it's the love of Christ in action. It's the love of Christ in action. We are to see others in need, and as we have the ability, meet that need. Reach out in love. Now, we ought to be willing to open our home for strangers, for visiting missionaries, etc., who need somewhere to stay. Open our home for those who are in need and be a blessing, a servant unto others. That's what this idea of given to hospitality means here. And then finally, this morning, we see that the pastor is to be apt to teach. Let's read verse 2 again. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. The final qualification here in verse 2 is concerning the, the pastor's ability to teach the scriptures, to teach the truth. Now, one of the main roles of the pastor, of course, is to feed the people of God with the word of God. And we we mentioned last time that the title pastor means shepherd. And so it vividly describes for us this idea of feeding God's people with the word of God. 
You know, in order for the pastor to fulfill this role, he must be apt to teach. In other words, he must be someone who possesses the ability to teach, or if you like, he is qualified to teach. Alfred writes this, he says, not merely given to teaching, but able and skilled in it. Able and skilled to teach. So it's more than just that there's someone who likes to teach, that there's someone who enjoys filling the pulpit. It speaks about them being qualified to do so. They have the ability, they have the skill to rightly divide the word of truth. It's not just anyone is apt to teach. I was considering that idea this week, you know, it became clear that for a pastor to fulfill this role, to be apt to teach or qualified to teach, there are a number of things that must be true. The first is the pastor must be called and enabled by God for the ministry. Just turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. <clears throat> verse 12, it says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now here we see Paul, and remember when we looked at this verse, we talked about how Paul here acknowledges in his own life that God counted him faithful and God enabled him for the ministry. God was the one who put him there. And God was the one who gave him the ability to preach and to teach the word of God. And indeed, any man who is going to be apt to teach must first be called and enabled by God. He must have the gift of teaching. Romans 12 talks about that. Romans 12 talks about the gift of teaching. Let's turn there, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12, verse 6, <clears throat> it says, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Verse 7 says, Or he that, or he that teacheth on Teaching, the gift of teaching. If you go to Ephesians 4 verse 11, it talks about the, that God has given unto the church pastors, teachers. It's one gift. They have to have the ability to teach given to them by Almighty God. And so for someone to be apt to teach, to fulfill this role, they must have the gift of teaching, be enabled by God. The second thing that's evident is that they must themselves first be taught. 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> Second Timothy 2, verse 2. It says, And the things that thou hast learned, uh, sorry, heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who should be able to teach others also. You know, Paul, who's speaking to Timothy, he speaks about the things that he has been taught, the things he's heard from Paul. And he tells him to continue in these things, and he says, You need to teach them unto others also. So the point is that Timothy, he was trained by Paul, wasn't he? He learnt from the Apostle Paul. He was trained for the ministry. And then Timothy was to turn around and train others for the ministry. Yeah, even the Apostle Paul was trained for the ministry. He was trained by the Lord himself. Go to Galatians chapter 1 with me. In Galatians 1 verse 11... <clears throat> 
It says, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for, ne- for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and <coughs> wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned unto, again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode within 15 days. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul, he speaks about how after he was called by God for the ministry, he went apart into Arabia and to Damascus. He spent three years being trained before he went up to Jerusalem. And in verse 12, he tells us quite clearly that he's trained by the Lord. He says, For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul received the gospel that he preached from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul as an apostle was uniquely taught by the Lord, but he was taught before he could teach. You know, the same is true of all the apostles, isn't it? They all spent three years learning from Christ as his disciples. Disciple means student. They were his students. He was the master, the teacher. They were taught before they were apt to teach. And that's true of any man who's going to go into the ministry. He must be called, but then he must be trained. He must be trained so that he might be apt to teach. And finally, in order to be apt to teach, he must spend time studying in order to know and understand God's word. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Just turn there, 2 Timothy 2. Verse 15. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Paul instructed young Timothy that in order to teach others, he needed to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. In other words, he had to spend time studying God's word so that he might know and understand the truth. So that he might then be able to dissect or rightly divide God's word and teach the people. The same is true for any man called to preach and teach. It's not something that you know, he, he can just do off the cuff without preparation. They must spend quality time studying God's word daily preparing so they might rightly divide the word of truth. They must study so they might be apt to teach. So this qualification here, be apt to teach, really tells us three things about the pastor, doesn't it? It tells us he must be called and enabled by God. He must be trained and he must spend time studying to know and understand God's word. You know, with each of the qualifications so far, we've talked about how they apply to all of us as believers. This final one, apt to teach, is of course a little different because not all believers are called to teach. Not all believers are gifted by God in this area. Not all of us are trained for the ministry and we understand that. But as believers, we all ought to be spending time daily in God's Word, 
studying to know and understand his holy word. Psalm 1 speaks about the importance of meditating upon God's word. Let's go there. I know we know the psalm, but Psalm 1. Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruits in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in, in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Verse 2 and 3 in particular there talks about delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating in His Word day and night. So we might be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. See, it's so important for us to spend time meditating upon God's Word because God's Word builds us up. God's Word strengthens us. You know, if we're going to stand fast in the faith, if we're going to be able to share the truth with others, we must first know the Word of God ourselves. You know, 1 Peter chapter 3, just turn there. 1 Peter 3. It sums up this truth really well. 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. It says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, Peter says that we are to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks the reason of the hope that's in us. We can't possibly be ready to answer any man unless we've spent time in the Word of God. We have to spend time in God's Word, studying it, reading it, being prepared, so we might share our faith with others. And so it's a responsibility of all of us, isn't it, to study the Word of God. So this morning we've seen that the pastor is to be an example in these areas, an example of the believers. He's to be of good behavior. His conduct is to be ordered by his relationship with the Lord. He's to be given to hospitality, a friend of strangers, love and compassion and concern for those in need, and apt to teach, called by God, trained and daily studying to know the word of God. Let's close this morning in a word of prayer. Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, though we're looking at the qualifications of the pastor, I pray you help us all to realize that, well, these things ought to be true in our own lives as well. Lord, may indeed uh, you just help us in these areas each day, help us to be of good behavior, watch our conduct before men, help us to be given hospitality to show that love and concern unto others in need. And Lord, help us to daily be spending time in your word, preparing our hearts to be ready to give an answer unto others for the reason of the hope that is in us. Lord, bless as we close now. Bless our fellowship over morning tea, we pray in Jesus' name.